We think the genesis of all great ideas is diverse perspectives. That's how you find real insight. Anxiety and depression are, are sort of very, very big problems. And typically we think that these are qualitative things that people feel, but you know, you can measure these things and get very, very sort of quantitative information of how good you're feeling. So we thought, okay, why can't we make the physical object its own battery? Put the chemistry inside that shape and re-engineer it so that it can be physically any shape that you want. This capability kind of came out of nowhere. I think just based on our collaboration with uh, Belt Labs and some of the um, reactions, that they were just very, very surprised that we were able to do this. So I think when the dust settles that we'll, we'll find some really good common ground to advance this technology with Bell Labs. From Nokia Bell Labs, this is Future Human, a series about the human potential of technology. For the last several years, Bell Labs has been staging a competition to find the most promising new scientific innovations, work taking place at universities that could have life-changing impact 5, 10, or even 30 or more years from now. Winners receive monetary awards as well as potential access to collaborate with Bell Labs researchers. The competition is called the Bell Labs Prize. Now in 2017, for the fourth annual competition, so strong were the applicants that Bell Labs named one first place winner and dual second place winners instead of relegating one of them to third place. And when you hear what all of the winners have been cooking up, you'll understand why. This is episode 10, Stalking BHAGs. While other companies have staged their own innovation competitions, Bell Labs comes at it from a different angle. They're seeking what they call, quote, 10x game-changing ideas and proposals, unquote. But they don't want them to be fully baked. Here's Bell Labs president and Nokia CTO, Marcus Weldon. The idea was a little bit motivated by the Netflix prize, X prizes, uh, but, but actually the, the logic was simply how do we get outside ideas in, not through our normal channel. We have a very good channel through academic collaborations because there's so many Bell Labs people that have, it's sort of the diaspora of Bell Labs. We decided we needed to do something a little bit different for the new day and age where perhaps some of the people are starting small companies or maybe you catch them earlier in the cycle of their academic work and people are starting sort of having more productive ideas even during their PhD, not waiting to the end of it. So we thought, well, why don't we launch a prize and say, look, we want to hear your best ideas and we'll help foster those ideas. We can improve them so they essentially end up being a better PhD if you want. Uh, perhaps you're at the end of your PhD and you're looking to start a company. And through that process, we thought we can help good ideas become great ideas. That, that was sort of our mantra. Many of the struggles we have is the thing doesn't exist yet. They've got a prototype that shows the concept, but to go from the concept to a workable device that we would consider real uh, can take a number of years. And so we never say accelerate for the sake of acceleration. And so hopefully all those collaborations go at the pace that they're meant to go for the opportunity they're seeing. But for sure, I think we need to move faster. One of the things we're doing now in Bell Labs, we've defined these two BHAGs. It's a common Two BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Oh, is this a Bell Labs lingo? It, it's actually, I think, I, someone told me it was Jim Collins' lingo originally. Really? But it's become a term of art for crazy ideas that are considered almost impossible, but not quite. BHAGs. BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. 
Ah, now our episode now has a title. Yeah, it's called The Hags. <laughs> Another difference is their motivation. Unlike some of the Silicon Valley companies who've launched similar efforts, Bell Labs does not see itself as a business incubator. But what we didn't want is to start companies. So we made the distinction. We're not funding startups or not interested in startups per se. And we don't want to be a venture capitalist funding a startup. Why is that? I think it's not really the Bell Labs ethos. So I, I think about the startup culture a little bit differently than some people. Startup culture often is solving a business problem, not a technology problem. And that's normally their genius is they've seen a business gap Spotify being a good example, it wasn't a technology problem. It was, a, it was a business problem, a business model problem of how do you get paid or how do you pay artists for streaming media and how do you scale that platform, but not really a technology problem. So that was one aspect. We wanted to focus on the technology. And the technology, we wanted to do it in a nascent way so that we could actually shape it, mold it, help it. So that almost says pre-business. So that was really where we focused. And we thought there were more ideas out there than we were being exposed to. But altruistically, we want to help the idea and then we don't take any gain out of the process. There's some intellectual property arrangement, but even that we've loosened mm. to the point where the university maintains substantial rights to the intellectual property. And, and we just want to make sure that if we've made the idea that much better, that we can at least take that idea forward into a product. It's actually produced uh, substantial ideas that we've taken forward with the original inventors. So it's been very successful internally for Bell Labs. While sourcing entries has not been an issue, it did take a couple of years for them to calibrate the call for entry to yield the most appropriate applicants. 300 ideas is roughly what we've had every year. Hmm. The trick is, are they 300 quality ideas or are they sort of rather vague? And so originally we got ideas that were a little bit sketchy, meaning they were just in their formative outline. Some were very advanced and essentially they just wanted to be awarded for what they'd already done. Ah. And we realized that actually we wanted to sit in between those two points. We wanted ideas that were more than just formative, uh, but we didn't want them to be complete uh, or the, the owner of the idea to believe it was complete because we found those people slightly resistant to additional input. So once we refined that formula in our own mind, we knew how to mine the process and how to encourage people. And then, of course, once the prize got some attention, we got universities actually paying attention, saying you should apply for that prize. And uh, we've had a number of people from Princeton because Princeton considers it the best thing ever, I think, uh, in terms of their success rate is very high because they've, they've actually realized that it matches their ethos very well. Which brings us to 2017's first place winner. My name is Kaushik Sengupta and I'm an assistant professor of electrical engineering at Princeton University. By winning first place in a 2017 competition, Kaushik joins his Princeton electrical engineering peer, Emmanuel Abe, who took home first place in the prize's 2014 inaugural competition. Princeton has this unique focus on sort of really far out research. It is not like a typical electrical engineering department. We define EE very, very broadly. So you would have people working from information theory at one end of the spectrum to quantum optics to the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, circuit systems, theory all sort of coexist in this very collaborative, cohesive environment. His lab's two main focus areas take it into virtually uncharted territory. The first one is, um, you know, we are, we are imagining what the next generation of communication systems is going to look like. We are also interested in how these systems can also affect human lives. In particularly, we are interested in human health. In, in using these technologies, uh, you know, that power up your cell phones and laptops, 
but turning them into diagnostic devices and then connect them to the network and make decisions about your health that could be quick, that could be fast and could be responsive. We would be moving from the kind of electromagnetic spectrum that we are working with right now uh, to a different kind of and different span of an electromagnetic spectrum that we have never used in such a massive fashion. And this is what we call the millimeter wave spectrum. That ranges from, you know, 30 gigahertz to 300 gigahertz, this enormous spectrum span that is going to open up in the future uh, to enable coexistence of the devices. And we are trying to build technologies that can actually work in the spectrum. So that's uh, the sort of the broad effort in the millimeter wave band. And then if I take uh, one step ahead uh, from millimeter wave frequencies to another, you know, factor of 10x, uh, we land in what we call the terahertz frequency ranges, which also has very interesting properties um, that uh, would include sensing and imaging and all those kind of things. Um, and we are also interested in how we can use this kind of spectrum uh, to enable the next generation of sensing technologies. And then again, in the spectrum, if I, if I take a factor of 100, we land up in optical frequencies, the, you know, the frequencies which uh, allow us to see each other. Um, but we are trying to make optical systems, which are typically large, bulky and expensive, to very, very small, minute, uh, so we can enable very complex health diagnostics with these uh, kind of optical systems uh, that can make, uh, you know, sort of point of care technologies and so on and so forth. So, you know, from the electromagnetic spectrum point of view, we can say that we straddle across the entire range of it, uh, but the applications are diverse, but they're connected. Kaushik's Bell Labs prize-winning invention, radical new transceiver chip technology, has dramatic and wide-ranging potential. What we proposed was to create a sort of a universal system that can adaptively program itself to work at any frequencies. And that's a very challenging thing to do uh, for various technical reasons. The main challenge of any communication system is, is to be able to pick up a very, very tiny signal from a range of other signals that you are not interested in. And so we apply different kinds of techniques to sort of cancel this, what we call interferers, and being able to operate uh, flexibly across a spectrum to create this universal you know, front end that can operate anywhere. So that was very exciting for Bell Labs because that's a frequency they are interested in for the next generation of communication and having sort of a universal system is it would be exciting for them. He and his collaborators envision a complete transformation of personal healthcare. The idea of connected healthcare is instead of these, you know, yearly meetings with your doctors, you will be continuously checked. So the idea is to create uh, sensors that are not just on top of your body but inside your body that gave you complex biomolecular level information, could be from DNAs or proteins, much more complex than current wearable technologies are. And this is something that you actually do when you go to a doctor's lab and get your blood checked. So if you want to check for tuberculosis, you go to a doctor's lab and they will draw your blood and they will check for certain proteins in your blood. Now that takes a couple of weeks and it goes through sort of you know complex laboratory procedures. But imagine all of this could be done within a you know half an hour in a lab that is as big as a pill that you can sort of take in and, and that will come out and that can give information that uh, current technology does not give you information. So, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, you would just resort to hospitals and medical uh, when things are really uh, in, at crisis and, and sort of the more things that you can take care of would be done at the local level without even a doctor intervention. Beyond just physical well-being, these sensors may be able to monitor your behavioral health as well. Anxiety and depression are sort of very, very 
big problems uh, of, of not just this country, of, of the world in general, right? And uh, typically we think that these are qualitative things that people feel, but, you know, you can measure these things, right? You can measure your hormonal balance from the time you wake up and the time of night and get very, very sort of quantitative information of how good you're feeling. So having, you know, sort of a consumer device that measure your stress level or measure your hormonal level from your saliva or something like that, those are actually very, very, very useful. There is one practical consideration that needs to be addressed, though. You know, a very big challenge is how do you power these systems? You can't have like a large lithium ion battery that, you know, gets into your body, right? So so powering the systems is, is very important. And, you know, different kinds of battery technologies is, is definitely an exciting way of doing that. And that's where one of 2017's second place winners comes in. My name is Colm O'Dwyer and I'm a professor in chemical energy. Uh, so that basically means my academic position and kind of research strategy is for looking at materials and systems and devices to store and convert uh, energy, such as batteries. His research has focused on the usage of nanomaterials to reimagine batteries. So there was lots of people working on materials for uh, solar cells, energy conversion, electronic devices and nanomaterials were underpinning every single one of this. So that caught on, and when you could actually grow your own materials, it was kind of exciting, especially when you see them. We started to write a project to look to the future to see, well, where can we use these types of materials in some place different? And so my postdoc supervisor said, well, these might be good in batteries. And I'd never thought of this before, although the people who were growing all of these nanomaterials were from, like some of them were the the originators of the lithium-ion batteries almost 40 years ago in ExxonMobil, and they were growing these nanomaterials for that type of reason. So I started reading up on it and kind of fell into it because it it was this really important possibility of using these nanomaterials. Can you make these batteries energy dense, Uh, more safe, last longer, charge more quickly, could we make electric vehicles from this? And these ideas were beginning to pop up. Combined with the latest 3D printing capabilities, the results are amazing. So you can get power from solar cells, that's good, but you're not always out in in the sun. And sometimes you're indoors and it's pretty dark. Sometimes you can get power from movement because these uh, piezoelectronics from stretching and bending and you can generate charge. But what if you're not moving? So you always need a battery somehow to store and deliver the charge. So we thought, okay, why can't we make the physical object its own battery? Put the chemistry inside that shape and re-engineer it so that it can be physically any shape that you want. You can 3D print the outer casing the inner materials, and in the future, be able to 3D print the active battery materials themselves, all in one go. Clearly, there's a through line between Calm's printable, moldable batteries and the sort of miniaturized sensors Kaushik envisions replacing biannual doctor visits. Hearing of these potential advances might make you impatient for the future. If so, you should probably manage your expectations. Bell Labs is playing the long game. So in five years, it'll be clear you're on the right path. And no one's really doubting that what you're doing is the new reality. But it's going to take 30 years for humanity to fully live in that new reality. And I think that makes a 
ton of sense. And it gives you the freedom to really think 30 years out. And what you deliver after five years is just the start. So it doesn't feel like you have to have completed it, which gives you the license to invent anything you need. Because if you say it has to be done in five years, you start saying, well, I need all the technologies figured out in two. And since the prize is focused on earlier stage research meant to enable 10x improvements, no one expects there to be instantaneous results. Which is why, when it does happen, it can surprise even Marcus. Three years ago, in 2015, Bell Labs Prize produced this idea they got second place for something called probabilistic constellation shaping, which is a way to do optics, optical communications differently, by dynamically modifying how you modulate the light in a very sophisticated way. No one thought it was possible. It was too hard to compute how to do this. But this guy presented the idea from the Technical University of, of Munich, and our researchers immediately saw that he was correct, that this was how you would reach the Shannon limit. Mm. But no one thought it could be built. It was just too hard with current signal processing to compute this in real time. But we spent the next three years working on how to do that. And we launched the product this year. Oh my gosh. So what is the actual public consumer facing? It was called PSE3. It's a chip that does the dynamic computation of the modulation scheme for each optical link. Each link self-computes how much uh, capacity it has between point A and point B. One of the things that's been consistent about the prize from the get-go is how Marcus and his fellow judges, who include a couple of Nobel laureates, as well as the chairman of Nokia, Risto Silasma, agree on each year's winners. We found that there were always three that were just well above the others. It's the classic process. And moreover, the order of the three was normally very clear. And in one year, we had a tie. So we've had, we've had that happen. But normally, there's... The ranking is the same by all judges, and the separation between the scores is well-defined by everyone. And only once or twice has someone said, number four, is there any way we could include them, or why didn't we include them, because someone advocated for the fourth place. Normally there's a cogent argument for why that person didn't win. In the 2017 competition, the judging panel decided that two entrants were so strong that they both deserved second place. So... Sharing that mantle with their Irish counterpart, Colm, is a team of Jason Azoulay, an assistant professor in the School of Polymers and High-Performance Materials at the University of Southern Mississippi, and Tina Eng, an associate professor of electrical and computer engineering at UC San Diego. Experts in disparate fields, their collaboration has yielded some promising results, ones that align well with their fellow winners. Basically, on my end, it was really starting to generate a new type of synthetic capability and really just being able to control the properties of these semiconductors better. So as we were able to do that, we were able to narrow their energy gap and kind of push their absorption more into the infrared spectral region. So I had given a talk about that, and I think that's kind of where Tina's interest uh, picks up. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing capability. So he's presenting the synthetic chemist view, and I'm coming from the device physicist point of view. And when I saw his materials, it really absorbed out to a unprecedented level. So it's a completely different class of material that suddenly opened the door to 
uh, infrared detection. This type of polymer allows solution processing, and this is much easier for device and practical electronic engineering people to use. So that's why I was really excited when I saw that. I would generally summarize it simply as just a new class of semiconductor that can replace archetypal technologies with a huge variety of benefits and that can also be integrated into emerging devices and emerging device architectures where previous generations of materials could not. Our semiconductors allow you to see through the skin into the blood, right? Current Fitbits, Apple Watches don't allow for that. And, you know, people with different shades of skin, a lot of times you can't even get an accurate heartbeat count or something. So you can now do very advanced analytics with these. In addition, this semiconductor technology can also be integrated within arrays and, you know, which you couldn't really previously do. So you could probably have, I don't know, 500, 1,000 sensors on the bottom of a watch can do very, very complex things. I think just based on our collaboration with uh, Belt Labs and some of the um, reactions that they were just very, very surprised that we were able to do this. You know, our collaboration has expanded too, you know, and we have people that are very interested in this technology and it really just shows how important and how interdisciplinary research is in today's day and age. There's no way that Tina and I could have done this project independently in our own labs. And our students communicate daily or weekly and are, are really driving it every day. And I think that's really an important consideration. Jason and Tina's fruitful partnership is the essence of the Bell Labs Prize spirit. We try and find the connections between ideas. So often we'll have two similar ideas and we'll actually encourage them to work together to make the final submission. Some people are open to that, some not. But we love that whole idea that we think the genesis of all great ideas is diverse perspectives. That's how you find real insight. And another way of saying it, there's this sort of philosophy we have that the trick of all genius inventions is embrace complexity to find simplicity. And one way to embrace the complexity is complex points of view. So if I can have many different people look at a problem with diverse backgrounds, whether it's academic backgrounds, you know, sort of the discipline you took as your educational background, geographies, genders, anything, age, all of that is diverse perspective. You throw that in, that sees the problem from the richest possible set of angles, but also the richest possible set of solutions. And so we, we love that part and the Bell Labs Prize and how people collaborate there with researchers and with each other is one of the ways that ideas suddenly take something complicated and you find this uniquely wonderful, simple thing comes out of it. And that's the Bell Labs way. Asked to summarize what sort of BHAGs they're ultimately seeking with the prize, Marcus says, We're looking for radical technologies that disrupt or have the potential to disrupt. And, uh, and we think we see a really good cross-section of those, but we're always open to more. We're waiting to see one that we've never even thought was possible. So I press for examples. An AI slash thinking system that actually could accurately mimic and replay human behaviors in a multi-sensory way. So not just me and you talking, not video, but a full sensory realm. So maybe I, if I had to use a shorthand, I would call it the teleportation system. <laughs> and you know I like this term. We, we use this metaphor. Yeah, if I could teleport anyone anywhere 
and that might just be from a, an individual having a complete experience as a form of teleportation, then I think that's what I'd be looking for. And that could be any device technology, any sensory technology, any AI system. Cognitive slash teleporting technologies would be uh, pretty good to see. And then that, so that's on the human front. On the machine front, I, I think I'd love to see new automata that could be built as Lego block type things where you could take modular automata and they could self-assemble into any robot or automata or automated system that, that you could prescribe. So if you think of software modules as building blocks and everyone talks about microservices these days to build software functions as sums of microservices, could you build hardware services for automata and robotics out of a sum of robot parts that self-assemble and create the machine that on demand performs the function you want it to perform. I think those would be really radical ideas. And as for the 2017 winners, well, their future looks pretty bright too. It strikes me each one of them I would hire. And again, this... Uh, Will you try? Absolutely. If they, when they finish their studies and finish their work, want a job, they can have a job. For more information about the topics discussed today, please check our show notes. If you like this episode of Future Human, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Also, feel free to leave a review at Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show. Future Human is a production of Nokia Bell Labs. This episode was written and produced by me, Sandy Smolens, for Audiation.fm. It was recorded and mixed at The Loft in Bronxville, New York by Matt Noble who also composed the theme music with me. Additional production by Kelly Kramer. Audiation.